This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I'm going to talk about a story that we all know very well, but um, it's a story of Gideon and um, the sort of theme is uh, being part of a family army. Um, in Judges chapter 6, Judges uh, were raised up by God in a time where it was really going terrible in the nation. Uh, Israel was basically backslidden. There were just so many negative stuff. They were hardening their hearts, um, they didn't even acknowledge God in many ways. And then God raised up Judges and some of them and some of their lives we can learn of a, a lot, you know. Um, and there were ladies as well, you know, judges like Deborah. There were a lot of people, you know, some people say like, oh, did God actually make a mistake by allowing a lady to minister? <laughs> so, so sorry, your doctrine goes out the back door uh, because you yeah, will have a problem with Deborah in the Old Testament that was a leader and was a ministered. Um, so if you think like women shouldn't minister, then sorry, you need to get around that a bit. But um, that's, that's what you need to figure out. But in Judge, Judges chapter 6, um, the, the nation is again hardened their hearts. And isn't that the story in the Old Testament? They harden their hearts. Uh, they cry out to God. God sends a prophet, tells them to return, return. And then when they return, God releases his mercy and shows his real heart to them in that sense of being compassionate. And he calls the people back to himself. Uh, and then it goes well with them. And then uh, the blessing or even the things God does, they harden their heart again, they backslide again, and then woo, go back into the wilderness, into slavery again. And then the prophets stand up again. Some prophets were stoned. Some prophets, you know, that's why I don't want to, I'm not quick to pray and say, Lord, I want to be a prophet, you know, or an apostle, because most apostles died a martyr's death and most prophets were stoned, you know. So these days when people have positions, don't just be so quick to say, I want to be a prophet, you know. So in Judges chapter 6, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God looks for obedience. Amen. God's love language to us is love and telling us he loves us and it's sacrificially more than feeling. He shows and, and portrays his love towards us in, by sending his son to die. He's, he gives his best. He sacrificial love. Our love language to God is obedience. Not singing nice songs, not telling him 300 times we love him. It's obedience. That's our love. That's our response. That's how God measures your love to him is whether you and I are obedient. And so, yeah, God says, hey, I, I brought you out of the land. I delivered you. I did all of these things for you, but you didn't obey my voice. You mixed with the other idols and with the other stuff, and you started to worship that. And so, so they fall into to bondage, and then comes this a uh, little man called Gideon. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but there's sort of two things that happen. And let's read there. It says, the first, of all the, <clears throat> the first of all the Lord appeared to him in the visible form of an angel. Oh, my voice went up into the heavens there. 
in which he had already made himself known to the patriarchs and summoned him in the strength of God to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. So the Midianites was this massive group of people that came up against Israel. They camped everywhere and they started to just rob and threaten and take away the wheat and the farming and the sheep and everything. So they were like all over the place. Um, stealing, robbing, it was almost, there was no protection over Israel. And then in the second part, uh, God commands, <clears throat> commanded Gideon in a dream of the night to throw down his father's altar of Baal and to offer a burnt offering to Jehovah, his God, upon an altar erected for the purpose. So there, there were sort of two things that prepared Gideon. And the first one was this appearance where the angel summoned him to say, hey, it's time to come out from where you are. It's, it's time to enroll into the army of God. And so we read this in Judges 6 verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah. It's not the one on the TV. Which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So even before they could reap the wheat, it was stolen. That's the, everything, it was, like, it was just chaos, basically. And so here the angel comes, and he sits under the tree, while Gideon is hiding, and Gideon is threshing out wheat little bits by little bits, not a lot like he, they usually did with the oxen. So, so this guy is really in survival mood. Um, he's trying bit by bit just to sort of provide for his family. He was a warrior. We can read that in Judges. So he had a couple of big things that he did. But here this guy who's this massive guy and who's done mighty things for God, is hiding. And he's hiding behind the wine press or in the wine press um, where nobody would expect him to hide where he's threshing out this little wheat just for survival, just for him. He's afraid. He's, he's really not in a good space. And right there in his not so good space, that's where the angel meets him. And then the angel says to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can just imagine Gideon just like, who are you talking to? You know, <laughs> I'm just here with my little stick and heating out the wheat here behind the wine press because I'm so afraid. I just, I just want to think about survival. I am really not in a good space. And we as a nation are at the end of ourselves COVID is taking over, everybody's afraid, everybody's just talking about all this stuff, all the conspiracy theories. And, and you know what, when we do, when we're in a tense situation, we always go into hiding. We always like, just go back to our default or our comfort zone. For some people, it's sin. For some people, it's just that Netflix or some people just like, you know, we just pretend like, hey, let's just, let's just ignore what's going on around us spiritually because... It's about survival. So I'm, I'm surviving. I'm trying just to feed my family. I'm just trying to get around, you know. It's almost like I feel I have a, a, a teenager in the, in the home. Two are a bit older now. But the one, you know, you know how quickly a, a family pack of Doritos can disappear. 
Huh? Any people that has got teenage boys, raise your hand. Okay. It's almost like you have to hide it in the house, you know, because it, it, it just disappears. You have to have, if you want to have something sweet or something to eat, you, you sort of have to, like, put it under the bed or a place where, because that big family pack, it just goes like, phew, it just disappears. You know, the media nights are in the house, and you just know they've taken over everything that there is to eat. It's just amazing how a loaf of bread can disappear, okay? Some of you have got small kids, wait till they're 13, okay? I was thinking about testing for worms. I've, I've been thinking about a lot of things, you know, because there's a big dark hole of an abyss going down somewhere there, and I don't know where it goes to, but it just disappears, you know. Um, but in any case, some of you will understand one day in your life. But so here he is, he's hiding, he's, he's making all the excuses. Now, what type of excuses does he make? Because he's actually a bit offended with God. In this place, it's not just about the fear around him, but he's formed, his fear formed a perception of who God is. He's actually wounded because now he's been this mighty man of God, he's done this stuff, and now suddenly he's hiding. And so he says, why, Lord? Why is this happening? And isn't that amazing when we keep on, and we keep on asking the wrong questions, why, Lord? Why is this happening to us? Why are you, have you forsaken us? Why did, are we not experiencing you? Because our Father spoke about all these things. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I've got unmet expectations. The Bible actually says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. So when the angel, the angel says something, he says two things. He says, firstly, God is with you. God is with you, you mighty man of valor. So the angel affirms and confirms the identity of Gideon. But Gideon is just like, on a completely different mindset. He says, like, why, God, are you really here? Are you really for us? Are you really, like... So the questions and the negative stuff and the disappointments has taken over his way of thinking. And so he actually, you'll see it a little bit later, but he, God calls us not in our own strength. And this is so important. God calls us, when God calls you, it's in his strength. It's in Christ. It's in, and that's why he says, oh, don't try to be a superhero here. Because I, God acknowledges when he says, I am with you. Firstly, you have to realize that you're not alone. <laughs> God didn't like walk out and says, oh, okay, let's, let's have this opportunity uh, to test them. And I'm going to leave them alone. Even in the time of testing, God is there with you. Yeah? And that's a problem that I have with hyper-Calvinism. Because some people actually then say, Yanni said it so beautifully this week, you know, if I drive over my kid, it's an opportunity that God gives me to test. Test me. Now, that's not God. When we become very legalistic about our relationship with God. And now, typically, Gideon was in that same place. <laughs> The second thing we need to know is God calls us despite our circumstances. He calls us in a place where sometimes you think that it's, you, it's the worst time to call you. It's like, like, Lord, this is not my most spiritual moment. How many of you have experienced that sometimes? Yeah? Then, you, then you make like, like Gideon every excuse. But why? He calls us because he is with you. He is the I am. And he's not calling you to do things for him. He's calling you to do things with him. 
And when you understand that, that your identity, and we say that a lot to the students, your identity is not derived from what you do. It's because of who you know and who you are. And so if you realize he is the I am, he is God with you. Even in the night when your baby has got teeth and can't, you know, and it's the most terrible time of your life, then what we do normally is we, do, we pull a Gideon on God. Oh, God, why are you doing this to me, you know? Why did somebody not warn me about kids, you know? <laughs> this, these babies crying. I thought my babies is going to be called Angel and Angelina, you know? And, and now they are like uh, Satanina, you know, whatever, you know? I want to kill this baby, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's crazy how when we have unmet expectations that we become, listen very carefully, when we have unmet expectations or the wrong expectations, then we begin to blame God and accuse God. And then we take the side of the devil in our own lives. It's called accusing. The devil accuses us day and night in the throne of God. Please don't take the side of the devil Firstly, against who God is in your life, and then secondly, concerning God's call in your life. When you and I start to believe, and that's why for Christians, the biggest battle is right here. So what do you think when you think about God? What do you think when you think about who God says you are? And so Gideon was in this space. No, Lord, you know, where are you? I'm disappointed. Then the second thing, verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So when God asks a question, you know, like, run, don't answer, don't try to answer. You know? Have I not sent you? So here comes Gideon again. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. So God says, did you not hear what I said in the two sentences before that? You know, um, did, you, did you forget what I, I just said to you? You know, I'm, I'm with you. Now God says, okay, uh, for some of us, we, we cannot hear properly. So I will say again, surely. Turn to your neighbor and say, surely God is with you. And he says, surely you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Sure. So, so the, the second group of questions or accusations is now not against God. Now suddenly it's against the authority and the calling and the commission that God gives you and I. And so here he goes, some of the things is, how can I, Lord? It's too big for me, fear, shame, intimidation. He says, I'm weak and my tribe is worthless. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not, I'm going to... I'm going to bow to this intimidation. I'm going to actually uh, just say, no, 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 no. Lord, do, do, you, do you know, can I pull out my CV for you? you know? And I'm, I'm always amazed by who God chooses, eh, Chris? God chooses 12 disciples that are fishermen that are not at the University of Jerusalem. They are not the most brightest people. They are missing it all the time. They want, two of them are the zealots, they're terrorists, you know, they want to call down fire on cities. The other one, Peter, he's just all over the show. You know, then John on the other side is just, he loves me, oh, he loves me. You know, he's the, uh, just a bunch of 12 completely 
non-focused, not, it, it, it's not, I, I think they will, if you have a, a school rugby team, they will play for the, for the M, you know, you get, a, you know, first team, second team, A, B, C, D, but they'll play for team M reserves. I will, I will, I will just put them on the list so that at least their parents can feel they're on a list and they're on the bus towards that, but reserve, bench, not the first choice, <laughs> yeah, but isn't that amazing because those people will never be able to take the glory. And so God chooses ordinary people. God chooses the people that don't feel like the mighty man of valor. <laughs> and he chooses you, especially in a time when you want to hide, when you want to run away, and when you're afraid. You know, the biggest problem in this world today is not COVID, it's fear. Fear is creeping up in our society. People are hiding. People are doing frantic stuff, and it causes depression, heaviness. It is crazy what's going on around us, and most of the Christians are not aware. Because what we do, we, we pull a Gideon. We pull a Gideon on God, and we pull a Gideon on ourselves. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. Some of the translation says, the Lord looked upon him. The translation we read says, the Lord turned towards him. Isn't, isn't it amazing when God looks upon you? When he makes his face to shine upon you. <laughs> and then he says, hey, did I not send you? God's commission. He says, Don't, it's not in your own strength, but I, I send you with my authority. I send you in my might. I send you not just because... I've sent you, but because there's a calling and a promise with that calling. He says, surely I've sent you. Can you not remember that I told you that you're going to conquer, you're going you're gonna to overcome? It's, that's so amazing. You know, I, I was talking to a guy yesterday, and it was, oh, he's just in a bad space on the farm with his father and his you know, typical farm situation where the dad just tells his kid to work until death do us part and then maybe you're going to inherit something and all this insecurity and all this stuff and i said to him well your father says he's a christian but he obviously doesn't understand biblical things because the bible even says in hebrews 11 verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please god because he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him God loves to reward his people when you diligently seek him. What does he reward us with? His presence, his favor, his hope, his peace, his life in abundance. <laughs> he loves to reward you. Why? Because rewarding, it brings incentive. It brings inspiration. We, 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 we shouldn't think like, oh, I just need to be up here because I need to like, oh, maybe do something for God. No, no, he's going to reward us firstly with eternity. <laughs> Living with him, wow, what a blessing, yeah. But he also does that in the natural. He rewards us with his favor. Do you do you actually expect that? You know, sometimes I'm very anti the prosperity gospel, you know, just give and God will bless you with a Porsche or whatever. Otherwise, you know, that gospel would have not just made the pastor drive a Porsche, but everyone in the congregation. I still want to see that happen, but Sometimes we get so negative because we don't expect God's favor. But when you walk into that work tomorrow morning, you must say, Father, I thank you for your favor on my life. 
I thank you for your spirit on my life because I can make a difference. And, you know, I saw that when I was working as a financial manager, the, um, the boss who wasn't a Christian after five years when I resigned and he wanted to give me double the salary I had, you know, um, just to, to make me stay there. He said to me something very simple. He said to me, do you know what? That because you and that mechanic have been praying for three years, this company has prospered. We never told him. We never showed a, put something on the sign and say, oh, here's the prayer warriors in the back room because I played, prayed with one mechanic, you know. He was also always very dirty and I didn't want to touch him, but he always wanted to hug me and I was just thinking, like, oh, here we go, you know. But the crazy part is the boss recognized that the company is prospering because there were two Christians praying. <laughs> so, do you, ex do you expect God's favor on your life? Oh, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then God's favor was tested. It's a story that I don't tell often, but when I started working for the church, the church promised me a salary, and the church went through a financial crisis. And you know what? For I think the first year, I was standing in the UIF row here next to the, um, what do you call it, Landroskantur Magistrates Court. I stood there with all the street people for a year, ministering to the poorest of the poor. And the Lord says, will you serve me even if you don't get a salary? And then I had to work through all the offenses because the church promised me, I'm the pastor, you know. <laughs> Here I am standing in the UIF row, you know, getting for 20% of the salary that I used to work for. And how many times did that double the salary come up, you know? Should I not go back? Back to Egypt, <laughs> back to that place, you know. So I can tell you a lot about this beautiful people, the poorest of the poor in the town, because every month I stood there for four hours in a row, working through all my offenses with you as the church. <laughs> and then on Sundays I had to stand up here and be joyous about my salvation, you know. Woo, then it's tested, you know. With that Gideon moments in our lives. Oh, it's getting very quiet in here, but hallelujah. So, so God says to him then in, in, from verse 25 on, and, and we're not going to read all of that, but the second thing, so first God wants to establish in Gideon's life, in the church's life, hey, I'm with you. Please don't point the finger at God. Please don't blame shift. This is the position where the church can say, yes, Lord, you are with us and you've called us to prosper for the sake of the world, not for ourselves. And so, so Gideon had to make a massive mind shift. <laughs> oh, you mighty man of valor. No, not me, not me, not my clan, not, you know, the, the Lord, choose somebody else, you know. I don't really feel spiritual, but I can tell you the biggest miracles that I've seen in my life was not on my spiritual days. The biggest miracles, I just wanted to like not, oh, you know. And sometimes in the morning, I drive to church and it doesn't feel to me like my most spiritual. I think like, Lord, what am I going to tell these people? 
because I just wanted to do the spirit of devising this morning, you know. But God is with us. God is with you. God is with you. Then who can be against you? Does that mean great circumstances? Not for Gideon. But he had to hear that. And then God says, okay, once you under understand your calling and your commission and the authority that comes with it, Gideon, the first thing you need to do is you need to go and tear down the altars, the idols in your father's house. That's what he does in verse 25 onwards. Now it came to pass the same night that he, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. Beautiful picture. So Gideon is still a bit afraid, but he goes in the middle of the night. He tears down this altar, erects another altar, and the next morning when everyone wakes up, it's chaos. <laughs> People just want to kill Gideon. They, they don't know what's happened just here. And then his father and a lot of other people go read this story. They just say, like, I know God will defend himself. If Baal is Baal, let Baal be Baal. Uh, and so this beautiful story how Gideon has to go in, take a lot of boldness. And this is a picture of the idols in our hearts. The culture in which we live, you, you, you can't just say, yo, yo, God, I want your favor. Yes, God, I want all of these things in my life. And yes, you're with me, but then we still worship idols. And our idols are huge. You know that the average Christian doesn't believe that even there's a spiritual realm in the West. When we wake up, we're just like, oh, I'm just going to go like Mr. Bean through this life. You know, I like watching Mr. Bean sometimes. It just makes me feel better about myself, you know. And especially when he drives that mini, that small car, you know. Have you ever seen where he sat on top of the car and then he drives down? It's just crazy. Mr. Bean is my hero. On bad days, when I don't feel so lack. So God wants a new way of worship, and that's what, he, what he's saying. A new, a new place of your heart that you enter into. It's not on the outward. It's not on in survival. It's because God is God. And he says, I want a different type of worship for my people. It looks different than the world. Not just like, hey, you know, you get come to many churches like our church and then it looks like pop music. It looks like worship, but it's just entertainment. Wow. The most powerful worship I've seen was with... No music instruments, just people lying on their face before God and just worshiping Him. So, the last part, what happens is that there's this choosing of this army. So God says to him, okay, Gideon, now the next step is, is we're going we're gonna to raise up an army. <laughs> we're going to... We're going to call up this army. And so Gideon thinks about the numbers. He thinks about the outward stuff. And he's got this 30,000 people that he calls. They blow the trumpet. And this massive army comes out. And then God says, no, no, no. Tell the people, all of them who are afraid, please go home. <laughs> and 20,000 go. Sure. 
Then there's 10,000 left, and so God says, take them to the water, let them drink, and those who drink in a specific way, they actually stand like this, and they lap up the water to look at the horizon when the enemy is coming. They're aware, they're vigilant. Only take those ones. The other ones, just tell them, we love you, it's great, but where God wants to take you, you, you need to be focused. And so eventually they end up with 300 people. What a crazy number. What? Lord, this doesn't make, make sense because these Midianites and all these other nations that are coming, they are probably 500,000 people. So how can 300 people overcome so many? So now I've given you some homework because I want you to think of some scriptures that those words apply to. <laughs> that scripture tells us to be as Christians. Because if, if, we, if we are aware, if we want to be part of these virgins that have lamp in their oils, oils in their lamps, lamps in their oils, they were ready because there were two groups of virgins. The one was also expecting the bridegroom to come back, but the ones had enough oil in their lamps. So it's not churchgoers or Christians and non-Christians. It's all people that are waiting for the bridegroom to return. But some didn't have oil in their lamps. Some were not ready. Some were waiting, but they were not waiting in the right way. And so scripture is very clear for us as the church, especially in South Africa, because we have this privilege that we are surrounded by a lot of spirituality called animism. And I want to encourage you, if you come from especially a Western type of mindset, go and, go and talk to some people that live in Kaimandi and ask them, what is the spiritual world like for you? Go and, go and learn. We, we, have, we have so many great opportunities to learn from people around us that maybe didn't grow up in a Western culture, but in an animistic culture where forefathers are being worshipped. And then just go and learn, just go and observe, and what you will understand is that there's a spiritual world, and that spiritual world is alive, active, every day. And you cannot be in between. You can't run with a little white flag and say, peace, 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 until Jesus comes, peace, peace, peace. No, there's a war, firstly for your soul and for my soul, and there's a war for this town. And so some of the words that Scripture says is, be sober, be vigilant. If you're part of an army, it means like, hey, you go sleep with your boots on. That soldier is always ready 24-7. I'm not saying performance orientated, but always sober, vigilant, on the lookout, like these guys lapping up the water. We're not just drinking water because, hey, we're lying at the fountain of the Lord, and it is so beautiful. It is just so amazing until Jesus comes. Oh, angel, bring food. Oh, this little water of mine, I'm going to let it make mine, or whatever. That's what we do, you know, we like, oh, yeah. I switch off when I go on holiday. I switch off when I, because I think, no, the demons is not in still bay, you know. Don't be fooled by the word, still bay. The demons go with you. <laughs> so scripture says, be sober, be vigilant. In Ephesians says, having done all to stand, stand in the position that God has given you. Are you standing? 
Put on your armor. Be ready in and out of season to preach the word. Are your lamps full? The Bible says, test the spirits. Put on the whole armor of God. It says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks always. Rejoice always. Luke 10, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy. And by no means will they hurt you. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in pulling down strongholds. Casting down every high thing and argument. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. There's an attack on your thought life every day, Christian. And if you don't take those thoughts captive, they're going to take you captive. Especially with fear. Especially with anxiety. Because the devil is shooting his arrows. What are those arrows? Are thoughts that he plants in your head about who God is, what God said, where you are going, what God said about you, the promises of God. And then a lot of fear, anxiety, lust. And so he says, you must take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. How do you do that? By this. By your worship, by what you say, by what you speak. The sword of God, a two-edged sword that cuts between soul and spirit. It's alive, it's living, it's powerful. Hebrews 4, the sword of God in your life. But you know, a lot of people have dropped their armor, they've dropped their weaponry. Why? Because we are COVID fatigue. We are discouraged. We're just like Gideon. And this morning is, uh, is not to try and psych you up and say, oh, you know, the scripture a day keeps the devil away. And you jump up and down in front of the mirror, psych yourself up and say, this is it. The day is the day of salvation. No, it's in the strength of God. God wants to rise you up when you say, oh, I'm Lord. I just feel like Gideon. I'm just in that space. I've stopped praying a long time ago. I'm not into, you know warfare or i don't take authority over my life i don't even consecrate my life to the lord every day anymore because you know i'm just like i just like mr bean okay i said it a couple of weeks ago but you cannot outsource your spiritual responsibility and authority you cannot outsource prayer you have to guard your house you have to put on your armor you have to stand at the door and be a doorkeeper and a watchman. It's your responsibility. No, 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 but my wife prays, you know. Uh-uh. Oh, no, no, but my husband, oh, well, my kids are on fire, you know. Uh, my kids, they're already praying, you know. So let's, let's delegate. Delegation is so important these days, you know, in the business world. Inspire other people to do it, you know. And we have great intercessors at the church that meets on a Thursday morning, 6 o'clock. Oh, and you should see those students. They are so on fire. But they're going to get balanced one day, you know, when they're also in my position and so busy like I am and so full of life and distraction or whatever you want to call it. Or, But come on, guys. It's time for the church to wake up. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is on his way, and there's a bride that's making herself ready. There's a bride that is sober, vigilant. Her lamps are full, full of the Holy Spirit. 
and in the strength of the Lord, not in our own strength, not in our own performance because we're trying harder and now suddenly I must pray for four hours or five hours. No, no, no. When you meet with Jesus, you're going to want to pray for five hours. I'm going to say that slowly again. When you meet with Jesus, you're going to want to pray five hours. You're going to want to spend five hours with him. Then it's not an obligation because I want to tick the CV of my spirituality. It's because my life is devoted to him. He's put his fire in my heart like Jeremiah. <laughs> fire in my bones. Will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.